of the Apostles, the 11th chapter. And please follow with me in your own Bible as I read in our hearing verses 19 through 26. Hear the word of the true and living God. Now those who were scattered, speaking of the church in Jerusalem, those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except Jews. But there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who on coming to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists, that is the Greeks also, preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them. And a great number who believed turned to the Lord. The report of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem. And they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he came and saw the grace of God, he was glad. And he exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. For he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. And a great many people were added to the Lord. So Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. And when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. For a whole year they met with the church and taught a great many people. And in Antioch the disciples were first called Christians. All flesh is as grass, and all the glory of man is the flower of the grass. The word of the Lord stands and abides forever. Thanks be to God for his word. Let us pray. Our fathers, we bow in your presence tonight. We would lift up before you our pastor, Pastor Greco, as he would preach the installation of this new pastor. I pray, O Lord, that you would be with him. May your spirit rest upon him. Use him as an instrument in your hand for the edification and the encouragement of the people of that congregation as well as their incoming pastor. And though, Lord, as we would once again come to this portion of your word, we would readily acknowledge our utter dependence upon you to help us to understand this your word. And then, Father, that you would be pleased by your spirit to apply it to our hearts with power, to the good of our souls, and to your glory. And we pray, Father, that as a result of the ministry of the Word tonight, that you might bring someone who is yet a stranger to Christ unto yourself. And, Father, that you would use this, your Word, to conform us more to the image of your own blessed Son, in whose majestic name we pray. Amen. Now, as we began to look at this passage last week, what I have entitled our Christian manifesto, which is our marching orders as Christians based upon this exhortation that we find from this, not an apostle, but one whom I would readily acknowledge as an apostolic man, for he had been sent 
to the church at Antioch by the apostles in the mother church at Jerusalem. This Barnabas who is known for his ministry of consolation and encouragement to God's people. And when he comes to Antioch, our Christian manifesto is summed up in the words of his exhortation that we would continue to cleave to the Lord, that we would remain faithful to the Lord is the translation of the ESV. Of course, the word faithful is not found there. The, it's the simple, uh, it's what we might call a compound word in the Greek. It's the word prosmeno, and it simply means to remain with, to abide with, to cleave to the Lord Jesus Christ. And then we consider the context in which we found this exhortation. And the context, you'll notice, as we looked at last time, is the circumstances in which Barnabas offered the exhortation to cleave to the Lord, to remain with him with purpose of heart. And the context is the scattering of these believers from the church in Jerusalem, whom we're told went everywhere preaching the word to no one but the Jews only until they arrived to the city of X of uh, Antioch. And then we considered uh, uh, that, the, that the context here that Luke gives us is the reason why the gospel was so fruitful on that occasion. Luke calls us to the evidence of that fruitfulness. It says a great number believed and turned to the Lord. But we also saw that the reason for the success that the word of God enjoyed in the in this place in Antioch was because the Lord was with them. And we saw that that was a Hebraic expression that is used directly from the Old Testament and it speaks of the intervention or uh, the direct Intervention and visitation of the Lord either in judgment or in mercy. And of course, on this occasion, it came in mercy. And then having examined the context, we examined also the essence of this exhortation, namely that duty, our Christian manifesto, which is prescribed by Barnabas. Notice the text in verse 23. When he came and had seen the grace of God, he was glad and encouraged, or as the word parakaleo indicates, exhorted, and that is a very good translation in the English Standard Version, exhorted them that with purpose of heart they should continue with or cleave to the Lord as the verb is translated in the American Standard Version as well as in the Authorized Version. So we see the duty that Barnabas enjoins upon these believers at Antioch is the duty of cleaving with the Lord. Now then, up to this point, as we began to look at the passage last time, how would this, how would this have applied to the believers at Antioch as well as the particular ways that it would apply to us. Up to this point, we had been looking at this passage uh, as spectators. 
We've been observing the context. We've seen the fruit of the gospel at Antioch last Lord's Day. The evidence of the fruit there, a great many turned to the Lord, as well as the report of the fruit of the gospel at Antioch, reaching the ears of the mother church in Jerusalem. What did all of that mean then for the Christians at Antioch and for us today in the real drama of our day-to-day life abiding in the Lord Jesus Christ. And here I desire to offer about three ways in which we are to observe this exhortation before we finally consider the conclusion thereof. And given the constraints of time, I'll only be able to offer you uh, a few. Now please follow in your own Bibles, continue to keep them open, Uh, in these applications because I intend to cross-reference supporting statements elsewhere that we find in Holy Scripture. So application number one, with purpose of heart, we should continue with the Lord or cleave to Him in this way. We, you and I, are to adhere to Christ alone as the only ground or basis of our continuing acceptance with God. You see, when the gospel made its way to the Christians at Antioch, what was the very heart of that gospel? It was a gospel that declared to them, in all of your guilt as sinners, in all of your pollution and corruption as sinners... God's answer to you in your sin and all of your guilt and corruption is this. It is to be found in Christ and in Christ alone. It was a gospel which declared if ever you are to be accepted with God, it must be an acceptance that is based upon the righteousness of God. Of another, what we call in Reformed theology, I think the Latin phrase is justia, justitia aliena, the right and alien righteousness, namely a righteousness of another. Now, on what basis do I draw that conclusion? Verse 20, notice they came preaching the Lord Jesus. And now when Barnabas arrives in Antioch with a view to confirm the news which had reached the mother church back in Jerusalem, what does he do? He then exhorts these new believers who have turned to the Lord saying, Now with purpose of heart, that is, with the most undivided resolve, of the will as well as the most steadfast commitment of the totality of your being, continue with the Lord. He declares in essence, don't move a single inch from that posture in which you first came to the Lord Jesus Christ. And you say, well now David, how are you certain that this is what Barnabas meant? Well, there's another indication which we find later on in the book of Acts, just a a chapter or two over, chapter 13 and verse 43, where we read, Now when the congregation, that is the synagogue, had broken up, many of the Jews and the devout proselytes 
followed Paul and Barnabas, who speaking to them, persuaded them, and here we have that same word, prosmetno, to continue in the grace of God. Now why was and is this so important? Because if you're familiar with the book of the Acts of the Apostles, then you know that certain folk would later come into the church at Antioch who would tell them, yes, Christ is sufficient to get you into the kingdom and to establish the ground of your acceptance with God. And it's okay if that's the first message you receive. But unless you are circumcised and keep the Mosaic law, you cannot be saved. And that is precisely the false gospel of the Judaizers who came preaching to the people at Antioch later on in the record of the Acts of the Apostles. In other words, the Judaizers insisted that only must... Not only must they cleave to Christ as their acceptance before God, but that they must put a plus sign after Christ and add to it circumcision and the observance of the entire Mosaic framework. And being acquainted with something of the tendency of the human heart by nature to be a Pharisee, the tendency to add something to the grace of God in Christ or in the language of the Apostle Paul in Galatians chapter 5 and verse 4 to fall from grace. Barnabas, having seen the evidence of the grace of God to these believers in Antioch, pleads with them by way of exhortation that with purpose of heart they should continue with the Lord to cling to Christ alone as the only ground of their continuing acceptance with God. And may I say to those of us who are conscious of the time of our own conversion, some of us are not conscious of that time, and I understand that, but I speak to those of us who are conscious of those initial stages in which God began to deal with us. That that is, when we were awakened to some knowledge of our sin and guilt before God. What the Westminster uh, Confession, Larger Catechism says in question number 31, it calls convincing us of our sin and misery, enlightening our minds in the knowledge of Christ, renewing our wills, He doth persuade and enable us to embrace Jesus Christ fully offered to us in the gospel. And that there was no hope or help to be found in ourselves, but that we're driven from every other haven or avenue until we could say in similar language with the hymn writer, O wondrous love to bleed and die, to bear the cross in shame, that guilty sinners such as I might plead thy gracious name. And lo and behold, not long after becoming a Christian, we begin to realize that we, you and I, have certain responsibilities and duties as the people of God. And we come to discover as well that we do not fulfill 
all of our duties and we do not live up to all of our responsibilities and we come with an increased awareness of our sins over issues and matters that never troubled us prior to our conversion. For example, some of us can recall that in our unconverted days did our hearts ever condemn us for coldness to God? Not in our unconverted state. Or we may have had a twitch of conscience if we had stolen from someone or if we violated someone else's marriage vows or bed. But now that we belong to Christ and have a new heart, commensurate with that is the love Christ with the totality of all of our being, with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength. Commensurate with that new heart is the desire to render unto him not perfect obedience, but purposeful obedience. And with that comes a new sensitivity as to what constitutes sin and obedience. And so often we find ourselves struggling under the weight of our sin as Christians and the burden of guilt of that sin. And what happens? We begin to lose the joy that comes with the consciousness that even in our post-conversion experience, sins, our sins, did not take the Lord our God by surprise. You see, when God, by the Spirit through the Word, does a mighty work in our hearts, drawing us to Himself, He knew about all the sins that you and I would commit subsequent to our initial coming to Him. And He bids us to embrace His Son by faith for the pardon of all of our sins based upon the sufficient and the perfect work of His Son both now and for all eternity. But what happens to us? We suddenly find ourselves falling away from adhering to Christ alone as we've been taught. And we begin to find ourselves weighted down with despairing thoughts and troubled by unfounded doubts. And before long, our stability as Christians is threatened. How desperately every Christian, young and old, needs this continuing exhortation of Barnabas. For with purpose of heart, cleave to the Lord Jesus Christ alone. For of him, Paul tells us, you are in Christ Jesus who became for us wisdom from God, righteousness from God. And the righteousness that is yours in the Lord Jesus is as perfect now as the first moment when you received him in faith. The day that God came to you and converted you to him. So I would urge you as Barnabas urged these new believers at Antioch. Continue with the Lord with purpose of heart. As regards this first application. To cling to Christ alone as the only grounds or basis of our continuing acceptance with God. But then secondly... This exhortation surely includes this as well. 
namely to cleave to Christ alone as the only source for our strength from God. Not only to Christ alone as the ground or basis of our continuing acceptance with God, but to Christ alone as the only source for our strength from God. You see, these new believers discover in coming to Christ and embracing Him as their Lord and Savior, they discover that they have entered into a whole new sphere of duties and privileges And don't ever be ashamed of the word duty. The word duty is not a nasty word for a believer in Christ. For one who has been given a new heart, duty is not a nasty word. Christ's yoke is easy and his burden is light, according to Matthew 11 and verse 30. He is not a hard taskmaster. The child of God, out of love to Christ, finds joy in fulfilling his or her duties as a Christian. Moreover, it isn't long uh, before as a new Christian we discover the reality of that which Paul preached to the young churches of Lystra, Iconium, as well as Antioch, that we must through many tribulations enter the kingdom of God. And we become conscious of the stress and the strain of fulfilling our duties and the trials involved in living up to our obligations as Christians. And we begin to wonder, how in the world am I going to perform all of these duties and responsibilities? How am I going to perform them? I mean, I just begin to lay hold of what I ought to be in this area of my life, when then I find another spectrum of duties to be fulfilled in this other area of my life. And as an aside, I think that for some of you, the difficulties here may be partially due to a confusion of priorities between what we owe to our family, and what we owe to others. But by God's grace, we learn to prioritize our duties, that you need to learn to cling to Christ alone as the only source of our strength from God. In Colossians chapter 2, verses 6 through 7, in writing to the Colossians, Paul writes, As you therefore have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith as you have been taught, abounding in it with thanksgiving. To whom did you look in your initial response to the gospel? Even when that gospel came demanding of you repentance and faith in the name of the God of heaven. You may have thought to yourself that the privileges were so glorious to you as a sinner that you could scarcely think that your faith could embrace the reality of such forgiveness. To whom did you look for strength to believe? As you contemplated your sins, hopefully you were directed to look to Christ alone as the only Savior of poor sinners. 
Dear people of God, lay hold of this truth. This is one of the takeaways for tonight. And what a blessed truth it is. What the Lord Jesus Christ is in our initial coming to Him, He remains in the ongoing reality of our Christian experience. Never forget that. That's why the gospel is relevant not only for the unconverted, but for those of us who have been converted. That it's all of grace from beginning to end. Christ alone by grace is the only source of our strength from God. And then there's that well-known passage in Philippians chapter 4 and verse 13. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. What are we to make of that text? I mean, is the Apostle Paul simply a braggart when he says, I can do all things? Does that mean that he could... uh, and by implication as well, do all kinds of strange and weird things like Superman, able to leap tall buildings with a single bound? Is that what the apostle means? Of course not. The all things to which the apostle makes reference are the things that lay before him in the path of his Christian duty to the God who saved him. You read in the context and you'll understand something of what duties lay before him. He was learning how to be abased in doing jail time for the sake of the gospel. And in that situation, he says, I can do all things. Every demand made upon me, I am able to meet them. But how? Through Christ, literally in Christ who strengthens me. So Paul's boasting is not directed to himself, but to the Lord Jesus Christ. And he had learned this very lesson lesson that Barnabas was seeking to drive home to the Christians at Antioch with purpose of heart, cleave, continue with the Lord, remain in close attachment to Christ as the only ground of our acceptance with God, as the only source of our strength from God. And then the third text is John 15 and verse 5, where our Lord making use of this analogy of the vine and the branches. He says, I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me, And I in him bears much fruit. For without me, that is apart from attachment to Christ, you can do nothing. Now do you understand why why Barnabas was so dead in earnest with the folk at Antioch when he gave this exhortation? And why he kept repeating himself for the form of the verb there, parakaleo, was that he was continually striking this same note repeatedly as his exhortation. He didn't say it just simply one time and move on, but we could properly translate the text. He was continually exhorting them all that with purpose of heart they should remain faithful to the Lord. 
they should continue with the Lord. Now bear in mind, this is the church at Antioch. And God had some extraordinary plans for that particular church. Burdens and responsibilities were going to be laid upon that church. The likes of which no other Gentile church would know. But Christ was sufficient for every task that his will prescribed for that church. But then I think there's a third application here, and I hurry on. A third line of thought. We must cleave to Christ alone as the continuing grounds of our acceptance with God, to Christ alone as, our only stre- as the only source of our strength from God. But thirdly, and all of us need to hear this, we must cleave to Christ alone as the only Lord of our conscience before God. You see, these Christians at Antioch, having turned in repentance, and remember the context, verse 21, a great number believed and turned to the Lord. They turned from their sins unto the Lord. They had embraced Him as their only rightful Lord. And they willingly and joyfully submitted their consciences to His government. Do you remember that character in Bunyan's The Pilgrim's Progress? Christian is addressing the devil. Apollyon in the Christian in the Pilgrim's Progress. And Christian describes this change to the enemy of his soul in this way. He says to Apollyon, the devil, to speak the truth. I like his service, speaking of God's service. I like his service, his wages, his servants, his government, his company and country better than thine. Therefore, leave off to persuade me further. I am his servant and I will follow him. Why must the Christians at Antioch understand this aspect of continuing to cleave to Christ alone as the only Lord of their conscience with purpose of heart? Well, before long, they were going to be facing some who coming from without would seek to obtrude upon their consciences things which Christ himself never imposed upon their consciences. The same thing occurs today with certain Christians who love to make rules and observances for themselves which they seek in turn to obtrude upon the consciences of others but which Christ himself never imposed as his yoke for the conscience of a believer. When the Lord Jesus Christ commissioned his disciples, he did so in this manner. Go therefore... And make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. So let me be clear. Not only the words of Christ recorded in the four four Gospels of the New Testament are to regulate the life of a believer. Not only those words, but Christ is the Lord who has revealed himself in all the scriptures. 
But Christ speaks to us in all of these scriptures. And we must always stand under the scriptures as servants and never over the scriptures as judgment, judges. And in our posture of standing under the rule and the norm of scripture, we must understand that not all of the words of Christ norm our lives in a one-to-one parallel. For instance, when he said to the apostles in Matthew 10 verses 5 through 6, these 12 apostles that Jesus sent out and commanded them saying, do not go into the way of the Gentiles nor enter into a city of the Sumerians, but rather go to the lost sheep of the house of Israel only. We must not infer from that you and I that forbids me from declaring the gospel to Gentiles. My conscience is thereby bound from doing that. No, no. We must handle the word of God accurately. Or what the ancient church father Chrysostom referred to as acrebia with precision. We must handle the word of God with precision. And we know very clearly from the words of the apostles and the New Testament writers that the word of Christ, according to 1 Corinthians chapter 14 and verse 37, if anyone, there Paul writes, thinks himself to be a prophet or spiritual, let him acknowledge that the things that I write are the commandments of the Lord. And so we must continue to adhere to Christ alone as the only Lord of our conscience. But then very quickly, because my time is gone, just in a few moments, I want us to look, you and I, at the conclusion following the exhortation of Barnabas. When God is pleased to bless such an exhortation as this, what is the recorded result of its being understood and obeyed by those in Antioch. The account of which followed the exhortation is given to us in verses 24 through 26. And here Luke gives us something of a little editorial comment concerning the character of this man Barnabas. And we find that comment in verse 24. For he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. And I find that added remark interesting. Luke draws a direct link between the exhortation given and the character of the man who gave it. Now why do you suppose that Luke was disposed to draw that connection between the message and the man? Remember, Barnabas was continually exhorting them that with purpose of heart they should continue with the Lord. And what is it that possesses a man to offer that kind of exhortation? Well, here is the answer. For he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. You see, it is good men who have been made good by the grace of God and who are made such by the Spirit and by faith. And no man is a minister of Christ who does not point his people continually and unceasingly to the Lord Jesus Christ as your all in all as a Christian.
He was a good man. And a good man will always manifest that he has an appreciation for the work that the Holy Spirit has come to do. For what, according to the Lord Jesus, is the principal work of the Holy Spirit? John 15 and verse 26. But when the Helper, speaking of the Spirit, the paraclete comes, whom I shall send to you from the Father, a Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will testify not of himself, but of me. And those today who, ha- who claim to have so much of the Spirit to the point that they speak so much of the Spirit, prove thereby they have another Spirit. For the principal work of the Holy Spirit is that He came to testify to Christ. Dear people, there is so much more that I could offer in the conclusion of this passage but let us bear with this word of exhortation that we find from Barnabas that God would enable us by the grace of Christ to continue to cleave to Christ alone with purpose of heart. Let us pray.